Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of, you guessed it, the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I'm the producer of the show. We're really happy that you've joined us. Listen, today, not only do we have one great guest, but we have two fantastic guests for you today, Lee and Laura Camp. Lee is the professor of theology and ethics at Lipscomb University right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And he also hosts The Token Show, a fantastic show, which Ian compares it something to the like of Garrison Keillor meets Smart Christians. Really, really great. You got to see that if you haven't seen it. And then uh, Lee's wife, Laura, is with us today. She is the chief operations officer for Salome Health, which is a nonprofit health organization here in Nashville, Tennessee. And they serve some of Nashville's most medically vulnerable residents. So we're so grateful for the work that they do in our city. We're grateful to have them here today. They've been married for 30 years and they get vulnerable today. It's such a wonderful show, a beautiful show. Lee talks about that that constant critic that the one struggles with. Uh, he even talks about uh, waking up the Sunday prior to when we tape the show and um, just communicating to Laura uh, I don't think I've told you just how negative this voice can be and, and shares with her um, some of what he's going through. They talk about their early struggles, uh, you know, when they first got married and now how they've come to a place, uh, which I think is beautiful, how they are both being agents to help each other partner toward better health and moving to their best selves. So you're going to be blessed by this show today. Ian is uh, a good friend of both uh, Lee and Laura's longtime friends. Uh, Lee is a one, by the way. Laura is an eight. Um, so lots of fireworks here. Lots of good stuff to uh, glean from this episode. And so uh, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. And here is the host of your show, Typology, Ian Cron. Lee and Laura Camp, welcome to Typology. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Good to be with I, you again. Oh, man. Again is right. I think this is your... You were with me once on the road back to you, once on Typology. I think you were one of my very first guests because you were one of my favorite guests previously. <laughs> now it's your third time. And uh, uh, on this run, I said, could you bring your wife? Next time, I may ask you on and ask for household pets uh, to join you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm delighted to have the 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 two of you on at the same time. Yeah, so. it's great to be back again. And Thank it's great you. to have Laura here. Thanks. Good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. All right. So before we get going, uh, just introduce yourselves to our typology family, who you are, what you do, and uh, give people some context. Well, okay, so I'm Lee Camp. Uh, I'm a professor of theology and ethics at Lipscomb University here in Nashville. Uh, and I also host uh, the Tokens Show, which is uh, a Nashville-based variety show, a theological—I I say it's the world's only long-running theological variety show. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great deal of fun. And uh, Ian himself has been on several times now, and uh, it's, it's great fun. We also have a new podcast out. Uh, that just uh, started a couple months ago, and uh, would love if uh, your listeners are looking for other good podcast stuff, they can come to tokenshow.com/podcasts. And uh, we've got we've had some similar guests. I think um, Bill Haslam's been on your show, I know, and we had him recently, and a lot of gr a lot of great folks. Yeah. Such a great show, by the way. If you live in town and you haven't seen it, you have to go, and it's even worth making a trip to Nashville. I think it's amazing. Yeah, thank yeah, the, you, Anthony. I appreciate yeah, it. The mm -hmm. token show is kind of like Garrison Keeler meets smart Christians. Don't you think that's kind of what <laughs> yes. it is? <laughs> yes. And and then yeah. and and because it's so hard to well, never mind. Um it is, it's one of our favorite sort of events of the year, the, the Thanksgiving show. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it is extraordinary. All right, so and you're a one and on the Laura. Enneagram. You're a one yeah, on I the am, Enneagram. Yes, I, I'm a one on the Enneagram, yes. Yeah, and I, th I think my first episode with you on typology was all about being a one. That was a very fun interview. It was. Ago. It yeah. was. You were one of the most articulate ones we've, we've, we've ever had. Laura, what about you? I am Chief Operations Officer at Salome Health. We're a nonprofit healthcare organization in Nashville. We serve some of Nashville's most medically vulnerable 
residence. Um, so it's my great privilege to work at Salome. <clears throat> I'm also uh, married to Lee. We've been married for 30 years this October. We've mm-hmm. got three. Yeah, we've got three boys, uh, 25, 23, and 20. And we're all home right now because of COVID in our cozy. Right, I've done yeah, that, yes. Co- cozy abode. Um, and I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Wow, okay. So we got an eight-one combination here. Um, and I can't wait to dive into it because it's a fascinating combination. But, but <laughs> before, we, before we get into that, uh, Laura, what would you say if someone asked you what – it would be like for them to be in your shoes for a day as an eight. Like, what would what what would it be like for them to see the world through your eyes and experience your into your inner world? Oh, that's a <laughs> a tough question to answer. Um, I. Uh, it, it, well, and it's hard to separate how I would describe myself <clears throat> from how I think others would describe me. Um, I take very seriously the feedback I get from Lee and from others about how they experience me, and all of that gets all blurred up in my head. Um, but I have always been told I'm forthright. Um, I was told that, you know, even when I was in high school, when I was graduating, that was one of the comments made to me when I uh, made about me to the to all our families and friends who were at my graduation, that I'm very forthright. Um, and I always thought, well, why wouldn't any why, why isn't everybody forthright? Um, so I, I, I do, and Lee tells me sometimes, I think that the way I see things, I presume everyone sees them the way I see them. Um, and so it's always a surprise to me. I have to remind myself, and I am reminded, that not everyone sees things the way I see them or experiences the way I experience them. Um, yeah, I so... Um, I, I calls them like likes I see them, <laughs> and sometimes I offend people, and I I don't even realize I've done it until after I've done it. Um, I uh, offend may be too strong a word. I think sometimes I hurt people's feelings, or I take them they're taken aback, um, and I always have to recalibrate to their level of um, how open they they are about what they see and think and feel right all right so lee same question you get someone who says what's it like to if someone were able to get into your shoes and and experience your inner world and see through your eyes as a one on the enneagram what what would it be like yeah well and i think too i i would just preface that by saying i think that for me I think I'm a lot healthier in my oneness than I was five or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think what's common across the unhealthy and the healthy sides of that is this sort of sense of always considering how something might could be done better. Um, yeah. And the um, that can um, that can be that can be immensely helpful, and it can be unhelpful. You know, just depending upon uh how much it's dogging me or the context in which I allow that to run um but on the you know on the on the when I'm in an unhealthy place you know the I, I remember the first time I heard um the the one described um you know it was like well yeah that's me yeah that's me yeah that's me yeah that's me and well, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it this way. And yeah, that's me. That's me. And then when it got to the, the way you really know you're the one, uh, Suzanne Stabile said, is if you hear the voice. And I, I thought, well, doesn't everybody have the voice? You know, and that, so I, I knew I was, I knew I was a one because I, I have that voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and certainly in, in unhealthier places, it can be this kind of condemning, uh, critical voice. Um, and I think even I was told Laura, I think maybe Sunday, uh, that I had woken up with the, with the voice and I kind of told her what it said. And, uh, I don't think I've, you know, 
told you a lot about how the, you know, what, what that, what I, what that's like and what I hear, but you know, when, when I'm tired or stressed now, even still, it can just be very harsh, very critical. Um, and I have to find ways to navigate that. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you could point to a particular trigger and you just mentioned being tired, being stressed, but are there other triggers or Laura, do you notice other triggers when his, that negative stream you know, that stream of negative self-commentary seems to be running. Like, what is it? I mean, I don't think it's, chances are it's not random, right? There's some trigger that gets that baby going or gets you attuned to it, you know? Like, right. besides stress and, and being tired, what do you think it is? Um, I mean, I think I think it's always some, I think, I don't know, I don't, that's a great question. I, I think generally it's always some form of stress, and it may not necessarily be stress that I personally am experiencing, but for example, if if things are not going well with our boys, uh, that can be a trigger um, because um, I can start thinking, what have I done wrong? How have I not uh, been a good dad? In what ways have I failed the family? In what ways have I failed the boys? Um, and so I think any any sort of, stress, whether it's direct, necessarily directed at me or directed at people I love or directed at the social systems or institutions I'm a part of, uh, any of that can kind of trigger a lot of that stuff. Hmm. And of you course, know, in the, you know, Laura and I both are, are both in that anger triad and our anger comes out in different ways, but yes, um, that that's another sort of warning sign that I need to always try to pay attention to. Yeah. You know, uh, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. Uh, I have a little way of taking care of the inner voice. Um, because, you know, I think, again, I've said this to people, I think fours are the, the second number on the Enneagram to ones who experience that stream of negative self-commentary for completely different reasons. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but that said, the, the solution to it can, can be the same for both. I tell people, if they can, write down what the inner critic is saying. Uh, and then, oh, but if you can't, you can, like you're in the car or something like that, you know, just take note of, of what it's accusing you of, berating you for, and then take it and sing it out loud to the tune of Happy Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I am yeah, not, I've, not heard, I've not heard that. I'll, I should try that. <laughs> and I am not fooling about 75% of the sting will go away. Huh. Because what you'll hear yourself saying aloud, right? You, you'll hear yourself saying what you're telling yourself and you'll go, this is ridiculous. And when you add happy birthday to it, <laughs> what you're really doing is making fun of the voice. It's like you're telling right. the voice, you know, like, you know, I'm a rotten, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a rotten father, you know, to my sons. I wish I was, why I should have been tenured 15 years ago. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. And you just keep going and you're singing it aloud. Do it a few times. Do a few passes at it until you find yourself laughing at your own voices. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to try that. I yeah. do. I mean, I, I definitely find that um, journaling is a major way. Mm. Uh, as you and I talked about recently, you know, I, I do the med I try to meditate most mornings, and um, but if if my inner turmoil is really worked up, it's better for me just to to go straight to journaling until I can get written down what's distressing me and what's bothering yeah, me. Good. And then once I get it kind of written down and can look at it with some sort of objectivity, uh, right. that helps me to proceed. Well, you know, uh, for everyone to know this, uh, evidence based research proves that what you're saying is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, in psychology, that the actual use of writing, the exercise of writing things down uh, for a host of reasons um, changes your whole relationship to the content of what you're writing. Hmm. And um, I mean, you know, I don't know how it works, but it certainly works for me. Um, so I, I mean, I encourage that for everybody. All right. So I want to talk about your relationship because. If there is such a thing as opposites, eights and ones are it. <laughs> so I just I just want to repeat that for everyone to hear. Uh, like think about all the couples on the Enneagram, right? If you know you want to find the couple that is most opposite from each other, it would be eights and ones. Um, 
And so there's often a lot of fireworks in this pairing. <laughs> so I just want to start off by asking, how are you guys doing? Are you okay? Is everything well? <laughs> what do you think of that statement? I think I saw what you're saying most when we were first married. Um, I w we would have a disagreement, and I would want Lee to argue with me, and he literally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And then I would grow, however angry I was about whatever had triggered the disagreement, it was eclipsed immediately by my anger that he wouldn't engage me in the argument, and he wouldn't pick up the rope and argue with me. And I, I wanted to see him hold his own and argue with me. And he mm. just wouldn't do it. And that probably lasted, I don't know, four, four or five years. Seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he got really good at it over time. <laughs> and so then it, it felt like maybe he learned he was a one and he got you know, he learned other things about himself, and the pendulum swung to the other extreme. And uh, we could go for two or three days arguing about something completely random and stupid. Um, and I felt like his anger was way out of proportion with whatever had trigger triggered the argument. Um, but then he found his footing and learned to argue properly, and we're doing just fine now. Let me, let me, <laughs> so, that's thirty years to, talking. Uh, according to Laura's rules of order, <laughs> yes. now, yeah. now he now has I learned, found my footing. Now he has found his footing. Um, so. Here's why I, I, I say this. Well, well, let's go back to this. What initially attracted you to each other? Um, I mean, you know, it was, it was classic uh, college love. I mean, she was beautiful. She was uh, uh, intelligent. She was um, a bit exotic from, from my sorts of southern... Alabama church experience um, in certain ways because of the difference, um, and um, we just had um, a lot of fun together. And I and I think there was there were elements of me. Uh, I I was learning. I, I, the, I was beginning to explore the world in different ways as a junior in college, and I think my meeting Laura and falling in love with Laura was a sort of element of. Um, exploring the largeness of the world perhaps uh that was that was new to me at that point in my life hmm exotic <laughs> what I, I want to explore that word she, she was exotic well i i grew up in such a, a sectarian uh christian context mm -hmm. uh that that um anyone outside my sectarian christian context would had a certain um, there was there was a certain taboo to it, I suppose, um, mm. and so uh, there was that element. That was not not a primary driver, I don't think, but that was certainly part of the relational exploration. Was you know wh what do we do with this? Where your background is is different than mine, um, and you know in in the big scheme of things in uh, American Christianity, it, uh, you know the the sociologists would look at it and say, really, y'all are not very different at all. But uh, when you're raised in a context of where if everybody doesn't do it exactly like this, then, um, mm. you know, at worst, you're afraid they're going to hell, that sort of stuff. Then right. when you start kind of putting your toe over that line or exploring serious relationships over that line, um, it does have that sort of, uh, I guess, exotic or novel novelty to it that uh, gets mixed up in all that. Do you think your church or your parents or family were um, put off, and I don't know if they were or not, by your being in relationship with an assertive woman? Um, like an eight woman, that energy. Say that again. You guys always teased me about it from the time 
we met and started dating, you teased me about being a feminist. <laughs> that's right. I guess we did. I had forgotten that, but that's right. I I, oh, oh, I, how convenient. Even though, yeah, I, I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have been ashamed to have been a feminist, but I wasn't even familiar with the feminist platform, and they, I could tell that just a strong woman at all, well, they didn't know, well, she must be a Jane Fonda type. Yeah. This was back in the 80s. Yeah. The, the, yeah, there were certain elements of Southern gentility that were just presumed. You don't speak out of turn, I suppose. Uh, right. That Laura, Laura didn't uh, was not interested in, um, and so I'm sure that that would have been jarring to those. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd kind of forgotten about some of those uh, dynamics. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that all rings very true to my recollection as well. That's where and, I was trying to go with exotic a little bit. I was wondering if that was a piece of it you know uh, i was with a couple the other day and one of the guys was just bitching about his wife you know i mean and the only word i can use is bitching it wasn't you know he was just you know unhappy and, and finally i just looked at him i said hey dude you got the pizza you ordered okay <laughs> and 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 he he just sort of stopped you know and you know uh though we get married at, at these young ages you know we don't know what we're ordering. In other words, there's a there's so much going on under the surface that we're still dramas that we're trying to resolve from childhood. Right. And we marry people really in part to because we think this person's gonna help me resolve this unresolved drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so part of that may have been I'm going to marry a very strong woman that rest my might piss the rest of my family off, or it might be so new that you you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know, it becomes part of the dance. I have no idea if that's true or not, but you know. So, Laura, what attracted you to Lee? A one on the enneagram. Um, I, I did not recognize his oneness. Um, I was attracted to him because he's confident, he's funny, um, he's tall, he's <laughs> handsome. Keep he, going. Yeah. He, I loved all that about him. He um, was a leader on campus, and I was attracted to that. I was attracted to his intelligence. Um, so, I, yeah. I, I, like, I, I like all that list. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Usually, when people do that to me, I just go, continue. Um, but but so, one thing, yeah, one thing about Lee when I married him, and I don't know what dilemma I was trying to resolve or drama I was trying to resolve, but I always, him being a one resonates with me when I think back, when I would describe to my friends and family what he was like, I would say, oh, well, he's like Moses. He's like a character, a, you know, a character in the Bible. He's that perfect. Um and so then to realize later, all these years later, that he feels the pressure of being perfect and that he's a perfectionist, that all matches. His outward right. persona was he can do no wrong. And I don't think I was the only one who thought he was perfect. I, right. I know there were a lot of us who right. saw him that way. See, I think initially one's are attracted or to the eights fierce now take this correctly to the eights kind of fierce sexuality so <laughs> i knew you were going to take it that way but but look at you you're about to jump out a window i see that <laughs> she's got to take a drink there yeah <laughs> but i say that you know when we talk about the deadly sin of the passion being lust we always follow it up by saying but we don't mean that necessarily in the sexual sense of the word but I always say something like, but well, we, don't, we aren't necessarily saying it's not in that sense of the word because, you know, eights are, have a lot of sensual energy. There's a lot of need for contact. You know what I mean? Like there's this gusto and sometimes it's, it, it has a sensual kind of a quality to it. And um, the, the eights are turned on by sort of the self-discipline and the discipline and the good intentions of the one. And I think um, it sounds like, based on you know what you're saying, some of those dynamics were were in play. You know, um, uh, 
uh, I think eights, ones are attracted to the fact that that eights don't tamp down their anger. They're almost like, what? Like you're actually letting that stuff out? Like you're expressing that publicly? And it's almost like the ones going, how do I get a piece of that? Or, you know, or how do I learn to do it or hide behind it or whatever? And sometimes I think the eights are impressed with the the ones kind of equanimity, you know, evenness, you know? Um, so that's a, that's a, a really a wonderful, can be a wonderful, you know, kind of a, a thing in relationships. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, we, um, I mean, one, one thing I've been thinking about was, um, a number of years ago, Lauren, I've done, I don't know, three or four different periods of marriage counseling. And I, th- I think the last session we were in with a woman we had done quite a fair amount of counseling with, she she one day, I remember she she, hel- she held up her hands and she said, when I started with y'all, you were, you were this far from each other in the way you related to things. And she said, now you're like this. So you just got to keep leaning in, you know? Mm. And we laughed, but it was, um, I've kind of described it as, Early on in our marriage, Laura didn't have a feeling or an emotion that she didn't blurt out, and I didn't have one that I didn't ruminate on or get resentful about for two weeks, and then I might have said something. Mm. You right. Know? And th- that's maybe a little overstated, but it's a, it's a it, if it is hyperbolic, it, it points to a true dynamic that there was between us. Yeah. And so we've both had to we've both had to lean a lot towards. Uh, bringing what the other one does into ourselves, right. and once you know, given me being more forthright, I mean, I know, I think it was two. I try to do a, a year end read through all my journals of the year and that sort of thing. And I think it was two New Year's Eves ago, my retreat. Um, I was looking at. Um, I'd had a lot of stuff in my journal that year about how good uh, I relate my relationship was with Laura, and I was looking at you know, what was it about that year? Could I identify something in that year that I thought had made our relationship better? And the thing I identified was that I was just being much more forthright, much more quickly. Mm. And that seemed to be something that I, and and that's hard for me because it would always require a lot of courage for me because I I think I had a lot of, uh, would have to deal with my anxiety about um, Laura's emotion and uh, I just had to learn to, it's just part of relation, relationship. And I think that for a long time, early, in the early years of relationships, I thought I wanted her to change that about herself. Um, and, you know, and, and there's certain elements of that that I think is true. You know, she didn't need to change it, but she needed to learn to, to express it in different ways, just like I needed to learn to express my stuff differently. So there were yeah. elements of how we both had to grow. But the point I was trying to get to is that um, you're, you're saying, how can I get some of that? I don't think I ever thought about it that way. But what I've realized is for me to grow as a human being, I needed even the things about Laura that frustrated me. I needed that so I could grow as a human being. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. I'm a lot healthier human being because I've learned to do more of that from Laura. Um and then I think, in turn, that's helped our relationship. Hmm. Do you think that that's, that's true. true? Is that the president calling? I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that's true? Yes. I don't have anything to add. Yeah, I definitely think that that's true. Um, you said it so well, I don't have a whole lot to add. So, you know, uh, every family, you've been married 30 years, you got three kids. Every family uh, undergoes seasons of um, crisis with uh, children and times, uh, seasons of just, you know, almost magic kingdom, wonderful seasons. Like in terms of parenting, have you guys been through some, some tough times? And if, you, and if so... How did the two of you as an eight and a one cope with it? You know what I mean? Like, how, how did that play out? I The way I would describe some of that is that um, 
when the kids were growing up and the house would be chaotic and there would be a lot of noise and sometimes a lot of yelling, um, I perceived all of that as pretty normal and it didn't bother me. Now, sure, after time, that stresses anybody out, but I didn't feel like we were damaging the children for conflict to be experienced and for sharp disagreement to occur. I just thought this is all healthy and good. Um, I think it caused Lee to, in addition to just great stress and higher blood pressure and a headache, and it caused him to feel like we're messing up by, you know, we're doing wrong by these kids to let Mm. them be exposed to all these loud noises and all this conflict and all this negative energy. And I never felt that way. Um, And we, I I think his, uh, he always called us back to order and civility in a way that we needed, um, that I needed. Um, Because my sensibility about uh, what's appropriate and not appropriate was so so skewed uh, mm. by my comfort level with conflict. Um, but then I think for him, I've I, I think I've I think I've been helpful in that sometimes when our one of our kids is having a, a crisis, sometimes it seems real clear to me, well, here's what's going on and here's what we're going to do about it. Get in the car. Um, And sometimes those kinds of crises, I can see it on Lee's face. It shuts him down temporarily. Mm -hmm. And so on those kinds of occasions, you know, my eightness comes in handy. Mm -hmm. So we've, I think we've tag teamed pretty, you know, pretty effectively. No, I, I, yeah, I would very much agree with that kind of description of the dynamic, I think, is very much the way I've experienced it as well. Um, and I did, you know, I, I, I um, anxiety has been, you know, I got, I got treated for a ulcer when I was like in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like wired with anxiety uh, from a very young age or born that way or however all that works. Um, and so the, the stresses of just having three boys who uh, were very, were still are very active, um, you know, caused me a great deal of anxiety through the years. Um, and I didn't always handle it really well. Um, but yeah, that sort of, um, sometimes when we need that, we were just having a, a pretty pointed conversation with the boys in the last week or two. And, and I, and I, I remember thinking, was sitting at the dining room table, looking at Laura and Laura was in her healthy eight mode. And thinking, I'm glad that I'm glad that she's in this space right now, uh, because right. It's, you know when it when it's when we're and that's the, that's the be- beautiful thing about it is, is I remember I remember one time uh, reading some stuff about eights and ones and and the challenges, the serious challenges that there are between eight and one being married to each other. Uh, but and then it, then it talked about but if if both of those can get into a, a healthy space in their relationship, then there's all sorts of really great powerful stuff that can come out of that oh and I, th- I think especially in the last five years you know we're beginning to get into that space mm. and, I, and i think that it's pretty it's pretty great how has the enneagram helped you get into that last five years of being in a better space how, what role has it played if any i think for me it's i mean for one it's it, i've it helped me identify um language for the way I experience reality and then it, it helped me identify some basic ways to lean into the healthy aspects of that uh, and then um, it taught me you know Suzanne Stabile um, and I, I don't even know if I've ever told Laura this um, and I've laughed about it with some of my friends that I've told you know but in that in that session with Suzanne Stabile, she said, you know, she's she did the eights and then the nines and then the ones, and she's and then she got to the end of the ones, and she said, now if you're a one who's married to an eight, there are special challenges there, and this is the way you should argue with an eight. And I was like, give me, give me, give me this, you know. And have I ever told you this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, so it it was a sort of, um, 
you let the eight say what they say, and then you repeat it quite forcefully to make it clear that you understand what they're saying, and then you forcefully state what you think and shut up. And then Suzanne laughed and she said, and if they don't say anything, then you've won the argument. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And the key is, is not never rub their nose in the loss. Yeah. Because if you do, it will start. It will start all over again from scratch. Right? Yeah, and I'll I'll win that next round. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I know. I now know the moves. So yeah, yeah I mean, I think I think that. What makes eights and ones together so interesting is one is you are both anger types, right? That's number yeah. one. Uh, number two, you're both black and white thinkers by nature. I'm, I'm not saying you, you haven't grown up and learned about gray, but, but, but chances are when you're not being very self-aware, black and white is where you go, right? Right. Uh, it, right? The, the other thing is then is as the relationship matures, anger surfaces, eights want direct expression, and then ones will retaliate with force if the eight goads them. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it sounds like y'all have sort of moved past that that moment in your life, as though that was in your earlier years. Yeah. I mean, finally, it, <laughs> we had some very painful years. Yeah. Yeah, we had... Uh, quite a few very painful years, I would say. And uh, it was not a quick... Um, we're, both, we're both pretty smart, but we didn't... Um, we couldn't or wouldn't adapt in ways we needed to adapt for a long time. Right. Um, and, and, and part of that anger triad, well, the one is thinking, I know I'm right. Why should I adapt? I'm only going to be adapting to something that's wrong. You know what I mean? If I if I leave my space, yeah. and you know the eight is a black and white thinker for different reasons is thinking why should I adapt? You know what I mean? So, but you have touched on something that's probably worth meant asking about. You just said that you went through a good number. I think that was the word you said of painful years. And I'm just curious if you'd be willing to to share that with folks who are listening who may be eights and ones. Like what or who just need to know. Like what what was that journey mm -hmm. about? Um ah, it they were very painful. Um I think that for a number of years, um, and we were learning about the Enneagram kind of during these painful years. And you had asked earlier, how has the Enneagram helped us in our marriage? The Enneagram did validate, you know, validate what we, some of our suspicions mm -hmm. about ourselves and about the other person. That was very helpful. Um, you know, Lee, and just to digress, Lee would always tell me that he had a, a negative he never used the words I have a negative voice before we knew about the Enneagram but he would say I believe all these terrible things about myself my brain tells me I'm no good I'm not a good writer I'm not a good teacher I'm not you know whatever 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 and I reacted in two ways one I thought I can't relate to that at all. My brain tells me I am fantastic all the time. Why would your brain tell you all those terrible things about yourself? But two, I thought, that makes me mad because you're way more accomplished than I am. And if you think ill of yourself when you've been, you know, you've received all these accolades throughout your life for all these wide variety of things, that's kind of annoying how... You know, how needy are you? If that's not enough for you, how needy are you? So mm. all of that to say the Enneagram helped me understand Lee, and it helped me understand me better. Mm -hmm. And I, I I, couldn't understand before the Enneagram why anger was always there for me. Mm. And Lee would say, there's an undercurrent of anger with you. And he, he said that during those hard years, you know, before we knew the Enneagram, 
And at first I denied it and I said, no, there's no undercurrent of anger. What are, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I was like, Damn it, there's no undercurrent of anger here. <laughs> but, um, but then when, when I realized I was an aide, I thought, oh, there is an undercurrent of anger and that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. Mm. Um, so that was all very validating that that's how the Enneagram has been most helpful to me. But in terms of the hard years, um, you know, I think part of it is having been married, you know, the hard years probably started 10 years ago or maybe a little bit before. So by that point, we'd been married 17, 18 years when things started getting really hard. Um, there was a lot of self-pity. I think on both sides, um, their life is expecting a lot of you when you hit that 20-year mark. You know, your kids need you. Your parents start to get sick and need things. There are a lot of demands on us. Finan- you know, the kids cost more and more money the older they get. So there are a lot, lot, lot of demands on us. And I, I feel like we were both just feeling sorry for ourselves and looking for the other to kind of soothe and take care of us and neither of us had the energy to take care of ourselves much less the other the other yeah yeah i mean i I think that description is true to my experience as well um and the um you know what's what's popping in my mind kind of two things one is that um to say something Laura already said, but to say it in more general terms, um, just in the way she said that learning about being an eight gave her a sense of validation. Learning about the Enneagram generally, that there are nine nine basic types, made me realize, or helped me realize uh, in abstract terms, you know, we all just experience the world differently, mm. and we're all very different people. And it, do, it doesn't do me any good, and it doesn't do whoever I'm related to, whether it's Laura or somebody, one of my kids or a friend or whatever, it doesn't do me any good to ascribe a personal offense to the way they're reacting or responding if it, that may have a whole lot more to do with it. That's just the way they experience the world, and that's their kind of basic inbred way of experiencing with their reality. And so it gave me, you know, as a one who thinks there's a right way to do things— it gave me a lot more space to be less uh, personally hurt by other way, other people's default way of being in the world, and so that mm. was that was immensely helpful. And then two, I think I had to start uh, taking more ownership. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a fan of this guy uh, Edwin Friedman, who's a who's a psychotherapist, you know, Jewish. Uh, I think he was a Jewish rabbi, wasn't he? Um, and um, he, but he's got this book called Failure of Nerve. And he, um, he talks about how uh, the failure that happens in families and the failure that happens in social systems is our failure to, to exhibit some nerve, you know, and to, mm-hmm. to have enough courage and have enough backbone to not let ourselves be dominated by our anxiety mm-hmm. and to show up and say the things that need to be said and do the things that need to be done and take ownership for how I need to be in a given situation, even if it, even if I feel all stressed out, you know. And so, th- so that was that was very helpful. And then the third thing that just occurred to me, I think it's very helpful that I'll that I'll throw out there. Um, I, I also have learned a lot from um, uh, David Schnarch, S C H N A R C H, who's written books called Passionate Marriage. Yeah. And um, there's uh, a copy something. of it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and another one that has intimacy in the title—I forget the, the title of it—but you know, he's he's big on saying that um, what some people call a, a problem marriage is not a problem marriage; it is a marriage, and mm. that the 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 tensions and the um, the heat uh, comes naturally from what happens when two people commit their lives together, and that. The, those what he calls those crucible moments, uh, you can either allow the heat and the fire of that to help you grow and mature into a human being you could not become otherwise, or you can get out of it and not grow up 
and go find somebody else who's at your level of emotional maturity, and then you have to go through the same process again. And so that's that whole basic construct was terribly helpful to me because it's like, okay, I need to accept, I want to accept that we're, we're at this kind of impasse. And, and it was for, you know, several years. And I, meanwhile, fell into a deep depression. And, uh, you know, one of our kids in particular was doing very poorly, and we were concerned for him. Um, and so, so I had to figure out what am I supposed to learn out of this? And, and I'll say that, you know, I'm, I just want to qualify what I'm about to say by saying I'm not giving any sort of medical advice. Um, but, and you and I, I remember one time Ian had a conversation about this over dinner one night in Franklin, uh, talking about taking antidepressants, you know, and I, I, I took an antidepressant for a while and then I stopped because I felt like the side effects were worse than the, the, the disease itself. But then we went through quite a period of time where Laura did want me to continue to take an antidepressant, and I did not want to take an antidepressant. Not because I was theologically or uh, medically opposed to it, because I think if somebody needs that, they should take it. Um, And I was open to, to deciding that that's what I needed to do. But what I did not want to do was to preempt the process of letting the pain I was in teach me whatever it was I needed to learn. Right, right. And, and in time, I, I think looking back on it, even though it was awful, I mean, I was, I was pretty seriously depressed for two and a half years. And um, I think looking back on it, I'm glad I handled it the way I did because if I, I finally was able to figure out some things I needed to figure out motivated by that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I'm, yeah. you know, I think I'm a healthier human being today now because, of, because we stuck together. Um, and now I look now I look at kind of where we are and I think, you know, it's so wonderful and I'm I'm deeply grateful for where we are in our relationship. And um but it has not been easy getting to where we are. So, you know, it's interesting. I appreciate what you're saying. You know, as a therapist, I think, you know, well, particularly GPs, let's say, but even some psychiatrists are quick to prescribe, right, when people present now, if you go to a Jungian, they're not going to be quick to prescribe. Hmm. You, you, and the reason is the pain, they would say, is, a, is your soul summoning you to uh, a new and higher expression of yourself. Hmm. And so they're going to wait as long as they possibly can, if not for the whole of your time and treatment with them not allowing you to get out of the pain because the pain it's like when don uh not uh what was his name uh you know donahue the catholic priest uh wonderful writer um john o'donohue um john o'donohue he would say like when pain came into a life into his life he he would ask brother pain what brings you to my life at this point Hmm. why now why now you know, and I thought that's a beautiful way of sort of articulating what you're what you're saying. If if you really need it, sometimes we would prescribe because someone was in so much pain that all we were talking about was was the symptoms of the depression, and we couldn't right. get to the underlying stuff until we could, we could get a floor underneath them where they weren't just talking about I can't sleep, I'm having panic attacks, I'm you know I hate myself. It's like okay, well let's get that calm down and now then we can talk about why but if right. you can endure the pain uh without chemical assistance so that you can really do the work that's the best way to go mm-hmm. you know um so all right so we got to get close to wrapping up here but i want to say something about eights and ones that i think is pretty fascinating and this by the way goes for so there are three cardinal numbers on the enneagram three six and nine and um the You've got three types, and then you've got two expressions of that type in a way. One that uh, overexpresses and one that underexpresses, right? The features of that cardinal type, right? And um, I think with what's interesting with eights and ones is that you are both the wing numbers of nine, right? And that actually is really important. Um, because eights, um, so, and this goes for those, those other numbers. In a way, the, 
the nine emerges or comes into being in order to reconcile and integrate the eight and the one inside of themselves. Hmm. It, because that nine doesn't want conflict, right? It wants to tamp down anger. Uh, and so there's that one dimension to the nine, right? Uh, on the other hand, the eight would love to explode. I mean, the nine would love to explode and let's let it out. I'm tired of being a peacemaker, right? On the other hand, needs to tamp it down. So it actually emerges because of the energy of the eight and the one. I mean, eight plus one is nine. I don't know what the heck that means. But, you know, <laughs> really, in this situation, eight plus one really is nine in a way, but two dimensions, but it's the nine trying to reconcile the tension between the eight and the one inside themselves. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I, you know? yeah, I hear what I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and so what happens is eights wake up from the sleepy influence of the nine by going against other people. Ones do it by knowing the right thing to do. Hmm. You know, and which means that that both are reactive versus proactive. And uh, so when it comes, for example, to times when you have to make a big personal decision. Uh, ace and ones can tend to polarize and won't budge, you know, um, and that's a that's a facet of it too. All right, so I'm going to close with a, a question. I just, by the way, have been studying that dimension of the enneagram, and so I, when I saw if I had Nate and one on today, I was like, oh, good, I'm going to talk about <laughs> talk about how that dynamic works. That you know, in a way, for sixes, they're, they're trying to navigate their they're coming into being as a result of the tension between five and seven. And, mm. you know, threes are navigating the between four and two, you know, this tension inside themselves, you know, it's pretty fascinating, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so can I, can I ask a question before are you close or, or could I come in with a question after? No, come in now and then I'm going to close. Okay. Because um, you kind of handed it some of this stuff, but I thought I would just, this, I think this is kind of a, an interesting question for the two of you. Um, n now that you understand the unconscious motivation, right? It's like when you, when you, and you both alluded to that, when you don't know that, I don't th I think it's harder to recognize the gift that you're being given. And so I would just like to ask the both of you, now that you know the unconscious motivation, like for instance, uh, Laura with Lee, that he's not just being hard on himself, but it's coming from a deeper place. Um, what are, what's the thing, using Enneagram language, what's the thing that you most appreciate about the other? Hmm. Because now that you know the unconscious motivation, it builds empathy, and now that you have that empathy where you haven't had it maybe in the past, you've expressed that. What is the, the one thing, using Enneagram language, that you can really appreciate about the other? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think for me, it's um, seeing Laura's uh, passion for life and passion for laughter and um, just the way she just she, she's a, she's immensely productive and proactive and gets in the middle of things in our household and our family and looking for constructive ways to to, to tend with the messes or to do something about the messes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and, and that comes through in her laughter and it comes through in the ways that she just jumps into things. And, uh, I, I find it very beautiful about her. Mm -hmm. I love that. Laura. Um, I think for me, one of the things I admire most about Lee that grows out of his oneness is his discipline. Mm. So he, um, He's very disciplined, not only with his work, but just with his life. There's a lot of intentionality and purposefulness to, I mean, you heard him earlier in the hour reference that he reads back through his journal from the year to see what he can <laughs> learn <laughs> mm -hmm. about himself and what emerges. Um, and I have learned a lot about um, purposefulness and discipline from Lee. And so he has inspired me to um, 
uh, adopt a, a greater sense of purpose and mm. uh, purposefulness about just my own uh, cognitive um uh, well-being i'm mm, i'm just a more good. thoughtful meditative present person so this is him. a relate this is kind of a related question but slight but different and enough that i want to ask it because i love asking this this question of every couple so laura what do you know and believe about lee that you wish lee knew and believed about mm. himself but he doesn't Hmm. I think, um, I mean, I could pick, I guess, a couple of different things. But one thing I know and believe about Lee is, I don't want to embarrass him, but he's physically attractive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and, and you laughed when I said one? that eights are attracted to the one, the sexuality, and everybody laughed at me when I said that. But <laughs> oh, <okay>. yeah. <laughs> but I um, have watched Lee struggle with his sense of whether he is attractive, um, and I see that in him, and I wish his I, – I, I would like for him to see that about himself. Mm, that's beautiful. What about you, Lee? What do you, what do you know and believe about Laura that you wish Laura knew and believed about herself, but she doesn't? I, I, before I go, go to that, just to give you a glimpse into my oneness, um, Laura knows me well enough to know that when I'm in anxiety, my my tell, one of my tells, this is not always true because she sometimes, as, an eight, as a good eight, she always will overinterpret this sometimes. But she has rightfully identified that when I am in anxiety, uh, I will I, I scratch my head. Yeah. <laughs> and when she was doing that just a second ago, I caught myself scratching my head <laughs> and thinking, well, the only reason anybody would worry about their physical attractiveness is if they're vain. You know, so it's a classic oneness of mm. that. That's that's what I do with that. But I receive that, and thank you. I appreciate that. Um. Does anyone else hear Kenny G playing right now? <laughs> I swear I just I heard the sack somewhere. This, I'm just telling you, this question inevitably ends well for everybody, okay? <laughs> what do you think, Lee? Um, yeah, I think um, I'm trying to find the right words for it. Um, I know what I want to say, but I'm trying to find the right words for it. Um, I find um, that as I don't know, there, there's certain elements of Laura's eightness in which she she can be really hard on herself about all that stuff, and um, one of the things that's been so beautiful about us staying together now for almost 30 years is that I have watched the ways in which she's worked really hard at trying to find the ways Mm -hmm. to let those characteristics in her be moderated when they need to be moderated. And um, I can still watch her be, I think, overly hard on herself and I don't know that she, mm. I don't think she realizes how much I admire all that in her and all of, all of those traits that she has because she's done, uh, especially in this most recent, uh, you know, in, in, in her working career after she's gone back to work outside the home, um, it's been incredible from my perspective, the kind of work that she's done. And that's only, she's only been given more and more opportunities to do that in the last number of years. And um, I think it's amazing of what she's able to accomplish and do and the way she, her eightness is proactive about honoring people that need to be honored uh, Mm. in helping uh, bring people together and to be very mindful of people, especially anybody on the margins of a community or a group. Uh, Just all of that, 
expressions of her eightness are very beautiful and very uh, poignant and profound, mm. I think. And I don't think she always sees the ways her eightness is so productive and beautiful in that way. Mm. Wow, great. Well, listen, you guys, thank you so much for bringing your beautiful eightness and oneness mm-hmm. onto the show. And um, Lee, uh, Laura, I don't know you as well, but Lee, you know that I love you like nobody's business i love tokens i love the tokens podcast which i hope everyone will subscribe to i love the token show wherever is performing particularly at the ryman at thanksgiving and i have a uh, deep place of affection in my my heart for you typology listeners please don't forget the words of the great oscar wilde be yourself everybody else is already taken until next time thank you ian love you Thank you.